All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Well, good. Well, I am going to tell you, you are here for a very special morning at LifePoint. And I know we say things like that a lot. Sometimes I get callous to it when, it, when people say, hey, it's going to be different morning this morning. I'm like, yeah, it's probably not going to be that different. No, today is really going to be different, okay? It's an unprecedented morning. In the 16 years that LifePoint has been a church, I am pretty sure that what is going to happen probably this morning has never happened before, okay? So, so prepare yourselves for that. No, no pyrotechnics, no people being shot out of cannons. What is happening this morning is, uh, well, let me give you a little backstory. Yesterday morning, about 8.39, um, Quentin, I was still in the process of getting up because I had had a late night the night before, basketball games, and um, anything past 8 o'clock is late for me, so at this stage of the game. But uh, it was, it was, I got in relatively late. I didn't get to bed till, till 11 or so, and so I was, I was kind of taking it easy. Well, Quentin gives me a phone call at about 8.30 that morning. I thought, well, this is really weird. Why is he calling me this morning? He doesn't even usually want to talk to me. Why would he be calling me? And um, he informs me that our lead pastor, Matt Brooks, who typically, if you're not familiar, does the teaching on Sunday morning, has been stricken with an illness. And so uh, nothing serious, just feeling crummy. And so uh, in low energy and not, not feeling up to it. And so he says, I've got a really busy day today, Todd. I've got a lot going on. Um, so could you teach tomorrow? Now, you don't understand that, that while there's many luminescent, brilliant, scintillating people that I work with here at the church, I'm not one of them, okay? <laughs> I am a very slow thinker. I think thoroughly, but I think slowly. And so it takes me about a month to prepare for a message typically, and so when I heard that, uh, it, it threw me into all kinds of spasms mentally. So what you're going to get to hear this morning is the fruits of that. But it's not just that. This is not what makes this morning unprecedented. What makes this morning unprecedented is you have the opportunity to hear actually two different speakers this morning. That doesn't mean I'm going to team teach with somebody. What that means is that this, at 9 o'clock service, it's me speaking. At the 11 o'clock, it's going to be Quentin speaking, okay? So if you don't like what you hear at 9 o'clock, <laughs> you just hang right in there, and you will get the, the rest of the story, which will be, I assure you, better. But we, we, were just, we did not know who was going to be teaching this morning. We were literally going to flip a coin because we both prepared as best we could. And so <clears throat> this morning, we came to the conclusion, hey, this, what, a, what an opportunity to try something we've never tried so you just hang in here for both gatherings, and who knows what all you'll hear. Well, we are in the, uh, the outset, at the beginning of a, of a series that we have just started. I think we're two weeks into it, which is great. If you have not joined us for this, you are here at a wonderful time because you're really at the beginning, and it's not, it wouldn't be very difficult for you to listen to the last couple messages. Matt introduced the series, and then last week he talked about time and regrets around time, and regrets around wasted time, and, and, and those sorts of things. Really incredible message on Psalm 90. I encourage you to go back and watch that or listen to that on the internet. But uh, what I, what I want to uh, talk to you this morning is something I think that may be, uh, if not as big as the time issue, it, it's, it's going to be very close uh, to that. It's going to be a, a, a very big issue. And we're talking about these, we're, really it's a series called not, It's Not Too Late, but it's really a series about 
Regrets. It's a series about looking back on our lives and saying, you know what, I messed up here, I messed up here, I blew it here, um, this wasn't right, and so I might as well just not even try. I feel like I, I've just blown it, and it's irretrievable. I can't fix what has been broken, and so I feel like it's too late. In this series, if there's nothing else that you get from this series, I hope that you get that it's not too late. If you are sitting here this morning, if you have breath in your lungs, or if you're on the internet in Malaysia or wherever you might be watching from, if you have breath in your lungs, if you're at the coffee house and you have breath in your lungs, if you are alive today, every one of us has an opportunity to change course and to do something different, no matter what mistakes we've had in the past. Um, in fact, one of the favorite sayings we have here at LifePoint, and you are familiar if you've been around here uh, for any length of time, it's never too late to be what? Who you might have been, right? It's never too late to be who you might have been, and those words are absolutely true, and we want to drive that home with this series, that it's never too late to be who you might have been. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is an area in my life, as I survey my life, if I had to pick maybe the area that is the largest area of regret in my life, I would say it's around the area of relationships. So we're going to be talking about relationships this morning. Um, I would say that, 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 that relationships are, are that area where, um, where I really grapple with this the most, and, it, and that's in different ways. I think back of relationships and words I've said to people and ways I've hurt people, those are, those are real regrets in my life. And, you know, those are, those are just things that I can't go back and fix, but it's things that I can change my course on going forward. And so relationships are something that is, that is a battle. And if I, had to, if I had to describe what, you know, what makes relationship regret in my life, I think a lot of times it's a matter also of being around, being too close. Let me say it that way, being too close to the wrong people, being too close to the wrong people. Uh, I, I think of this in kind of a, a, a goofy way that I was a little bit too close to the wrong person. I am a person who can't stand to buy gas um, if, it's, if it's around the corner cheaper, right, or a few miles down the road. And so what that does, that leads me to a place where I use this app called Gas Buddy. Does anybody else use that Gas Buddy app? Not a single soul. That's wonderful. I always feel socially bizarre. Okay, there's, where's one? Good. Okay, so uh, get, there's a Gas Buddy app. I'm, I'm not getting you know, paid for, for mentioning them. But Gas Buddy tells you how much the gas is at different gas stations. My son tells me Google Maps does the same thing, but I guess I'm attached to that app now. But anyway, I was thinking, I knew that the gas was cheaper down the street, and I was in a rough part of Huntsville, and I thought, my goodness, I, if I can just get over that hill and, and get down there, um, I'll be able to get gas much cheaper than I can at this corner station. Well, <clears throat> my car had other ideas, and I sold in my fuel pump, and so I got to the gas station there on the corner in a rough part of Huntsville, and there were a bunch of young men who didn't look like they were um, really looking for anything ambitious to do other than to um, maybe give somebody trouble. And so that was where my car died. Uh, one of them helped me to get the, ga the car. I didn't really want him to, but to help to push the car up to the gas pump, literally. And I know, you're thinking, boy, Todd, are you dumb. <laughs> and anyway, I, we got to the gas pump, 
And I was just had a bad feeling about the whole thing. I didn't think this guy had my best interests in mind, and boy, was I right, because I parked the car there. I had to, like, drag the, you know, I was, the, gas, the gas hole was on the wrong side. I had to pull it all the way over to the other side. And while I was on the other side of the car, apparently later to find out, he was keying my car on the other side. So, uh, you know, just for no good reason, I guess he just didn't like me. So anyway, um, that, you know, I was around the wrong person, probably too close to the wrong person. And so you have experienced that in your life, I'm willing to bet. That's kind of a, a goofy example, but you've experienced being too, wrong, too close to the wrong people in your life, I'm certain, because I've experienced that too. And I don't know how that's played out for you, okay? Uh, I think that plays out in different ways for us. But maybe it was a business relationship, right? And you got too close to a person um, that did not have your best interests at heart in a business relationship. And due to that, you were affected financially big time. Maybe it was a, um, a romantic relationship. I think that's true for a lot of folks. And, you know, it, you thought this person was, was going to be a great person. Uh, you thought, thought things were going to be wonderful. And it turned out that it was really a negative thing. And sometimes that even turns into marriage, right? And you may have had people say, uh, I don't think he is right for you. I don't think she is right for you. And nevertheless, you, 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 you persisted and uh, you realized that you got too close to the wrong person. It could be business. It could be, it could be relationships. It could be just friendships. And some of these things you notice as you think back over your life, some of these things, and I, I hope you do think, think about your relationships and your regrets of this as we prepare for this, get into this. If you, as you survey your life and as you think about that, um, I, I think that you will notice that there's these, there, these, a lot of these things happen when we are young, right? A lot of them are when we're younger than we are now, maybe in our just starting out our life on our own. Sometimes those are those huge pivotal decisions. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were pointing out that we make the biggest decisions at the time when we have the least experience. Isn't that true in life? I mean, we make huge decisions that impact the rest of our existence on this earth at a time when we are least equipped to make those decisions. And so maybe uh, you have made some decisions back then that really uh, resonate and continue and you feel like, I can't fix those things. And you know what? You may be right. A lot of those things we can't fix. But what we can do is change course going forward. And so that is what we are going to be looking at this morning. How do we uh, change so we have fewer regrets going forward? Forward. How do we change course so that in the relationship realm, we don't get around the wrong people anymore? I've had a couple people, uh, or I've, I've, heard, I've heard people say with regard to this whole issue, and this is, this is pretty profound. You, you might want to write this down. These are not from me. Um, but the, the first is, is this, that your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. If you want to see yourself and how things are going to emerge in your life, look at your friends, especially if you're a young person, if you're starting out, if you're a teenager. Think about who you choose to be your friends. I've heard another, if you want to even more succinctly, you, you show me your friends, you show me your future. 
Show me your friends, show me your future. And so that is true for a young person, but it's also true as we go on in life. And so what if we've, uh, we, we've blown that? Well, how can we go forward and how can we, how can we progress and how can we make corrective ish, actions with regard to our relationships? Because no matter, I think there's an Indian proverb that says, if you've gone a thousand miles in the wrong direction, turn back. <laughs> it doesn't matter how far you go. If it's the wrong direction, don't keep going that way. Well, I'm glad that we've uh, brought up a topic that I have some information to dispense to you about this topic because if you go back um, really a couple thousand years, the, uh, the fellow who was started out as Saul of Tarsus but who uh, generally, or after a while, took the name and was generally referred to as Paul the Apostle, uh, wrote down some advice to a church in a place called Corinth. Now, he wrote this letter from Macedonia. He wrote it to a place called Corinth. That doesn't mean much, but if you look at a world map, you can look at Greece. And he wrote from northern Greece to southern Greece. It wasn't a huge distance. I think maybe it was 50 miles, something like that. But he wrote from north Greece to south Greece. And he uh, wrote a group of Christians that really had a lot of problems. And they really had a lot of relational mistakes that they were making. And he provided some very direct, some very forceful counsel to these Christians at Corinth. And that's what I want to share with you today. And so this is how he starts off here in this realm of talking about relationships and with the backdrop of it's not too late. He starts off with this, this kind of pungent, poignant statement. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be un, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I just want to dwell, and I'm probably going to dwell on the text a little bit more than usual this morning, um, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what unequally yoked means, because this is something maybe you've heard in the past. I think I heard it in terms of dating in high school, probably is how I heard that, and maybe some of you heard it that way. But, uh, and and you, may, you may read this and just be totally thrown off by it because unequally yoked, does that have to do with eggs? I mean, what's going on here? I don't know what's, what's happening. Now, yoke, yoke is spelled different than that. But what you, we don't use this word. I mean, we don't talk about some being yoked or, 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 or you, we don't use that word in general. Well, this was an agricultural uh, setting, right? I mean, there was agricultural played up. Agriculture played a much larger role in the lives of people in the first century than it does now. I mean, we, we don't even know where our food comes from. But at this time, food came from animals who pulled plows and pulled implements to raise, uh, raise food, raise the crops. And so when he talks about un being unequally yoked, He's really talking about the idea of two animals, and this is a reference probably back to, I think, Deuteronomy, back to the Jewish law, the, the law that God gave to Israel. And in that law, he said, don't put two kinds of animals, uh, don't hitch them up together, don't put them together when you are doing farm work. Now, we don't know exactly why God gave that rule. Now, there's, he says, like, don't have an ox and a donkey uh, doing that. 
It may be because one is a clean animal and one was an unclean animal ceremonially for those. We don't know why, or it could have just been because if you have an ox and a donkey, the ox does all the work and the donkey doesn't, you know, doesn't do anything, or it may be harder on the donkey. It's just hard to say. I don't know a whole lot about yokes, but a yoke is this wooden thing that goes over the two animals. And he says, he uses this illustration, this agricultural illustration. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's talking to believers in 2 Corinthians here. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, don't be uh, under the, connected with them closely. Don't be uh, closely connected with these people. Now, understand, let me be very clear up front, because if I don't deal with this now, I may forget to deal with it later. This does not mean that we're supposed to withdraw from the world. This does not mean that we're supposed to hide out in a cave somewhere. Um, this, this doesn't, when, when Paul says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to retreat into our own little, little enclaves and be away from people. And, and in fact, I will say that Paul makes this very explicit. If you want to do further study, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He talks in there about the fact that we can't leave the world, that we're in the world, and we, we, we've got we've to uh, minister to those around us and have an impact, be salt and light in the world. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to look at that, he says if you are married to, if a person becomes a believer and they're married to an unbeliever who doesn't, has not believed in Christ, not put their faith in Christ, he says hang out in that, stay there. He says, you will have a spiritual impact on your spouse. And so it's not that we're supposed to withdraw from everybody who has not believed in Christ, but he's saying, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be too close to the wrong people, people with different values, with different perspectives, with a different system of importance that they place on things than, than, than we do as believers in Jesus Christ. Christ. And so he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What he's going to do now is he's going to ask five rhetorical questions. He's going to say, so what part, he's to ask these questions one after another, and all of them expects the one answer. And the answer is none, none, none. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Righteousness is a word that has to do with um, conformity to a standard. It's, it's almost like if you had a crooked stick and I couldn't tell it was crooked. I saw him trying to, trying to level up the TV here and that's hard to do. If I had a level, you could look at the bubble and see where the bubble is and you could figure out, is this, is this TV level or not? Well, that's the idea of righteousness. It's conformity to a standard. And he says, if you conform to God's standard, what does that have to do with somebody who is lawless? That doesn't mean that every person who does not believe in Jesus Christ goes around and breaks the law. That's, that's talking about the fact that as far as God's commands, God's direction is concerned, there is not an orientation toward that like we have as a believer in Christ. What partnership do we have with that? Uh, or what fellowship has light with darkness, has light with darkness. So again, these are metaphors. Light is the idea of, of something that's, that's oriented toward truth. Um, when Jesus says, he, I am the light of the world, he's saying he's the one that brought truth. He's the one that brought spiritual illumination into the world. And so what fellowship has light with Darkness, and this is this is the idea of, of spiritual ignorance. Again, you can be you can a person who is an unbeliever in Christ can have be a Rhodes Scholar, and that doesn't matter because this is talking about spiritual 
knowledge and spiritual recognition of who Christ is and what he's done? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And that's kind of a strange word. Belial, in fact, it's capitalized, and that's not an error. The reason it's capitalized is because it could be a combination of the Hebrew word for um, worthlessness and uh, combined with the, the ancient Canaanite god Baal. And so you put those together and you come up with Belial. And Belial really at Paul's time had come to be uh, another name for Satan. And so he says, what accord has Christ with Satan, or actually with the Antichrist also is another, another way that was used in reference. And so what, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Again, the, the, the believer in Christ, the person who has said, I am trusting Jesus as my Savior. I believe that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. Uh, what he did for us, and an unbeliever, a person who denies that and says, I don't, I don't buy into that. What portion? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so Paul asks, you know, what, what, what about this, this temple of God that we are, and you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe, it talks about the whole church being, the believers in Christ being a temple of God, or it can talk about uh, you could talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again about where he's talking. So he's referencing these things he's talked to the Corinthians about. In ch- chapter 6, you could talk about the, um, the idea that we individually are indwelled by the Holy Spirit if we believe in Christ. But he, either way, he says, what agreement is the temple of God with idols? With, now, Corinth was a place that was just covered with idols. It was filled with idols. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was the place where the, the, um, the temple of Aphrodite resided. And so it was a very um, godless place. It was a very lawless place as far as the true God goes and response to the true God. But it was full of idols. And so uh, Paul says, what agreement? And so he asked these questions one after another, and he follows on that. And he says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, let me pause here and just take stock of where we've been in this text, because I've covered a lot, a lot of verses here compared to maybe sometimes what we what you usually do. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, He has said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't get linked up with the wrong people. That doesn't mean don't have relationships with people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who don't identify as Christians. It means don't get your values. Don't be so close to those people that they rub off on you. He's saying that that our primary, closest associations are to be with those who know Jesus uh, personally, who can rub off and and reinforce that in us. But he says here, we are the temple of the living God, and then he launches into these words here, and I just want you to notice these, these orange words here. I will make my dwelling among them. Now, these are quotations from the Old Testament. Um, he says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I think that may be Leviticus. I will be with their, be their God, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, I want you to notice what these terms have in common. They are terms of relationship. These are relational terms, every one of these terms. 
make my dwelling. It's almost like God says, I'm going I'm to pitch my tent among these folks. I'm going to walk among them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, it's, it's like in Genesis chapter 3 where, where God is walking in the, in, in the, in the cool of the evening at, with Adam and Eve. I'll be their, their God. Uh, I, they shall be my people. These this, this terms of relationship, terms of intimacy. And let me just tell you, this is going to take us where um, this, Paul is giving us a reason for us not being unequally yoked with people who don't buy into the value system that Christ has given us. He says, he goes on, he, then therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Separate from them. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. Again, relational terms. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the historical background of some of those quotations that Paul's using there is from um, when, when Israel was in captive in the... Um, the nation of Babylon, and when they were captive, when they were being held captive during that time, God is saying, separate from Babylon, come out of it. And he's saying that to these Corinthians. Paul is using this passage to say the same thing to the Corinthians. And he's saying, listen, you need to, to step away from, from the practices of your neighbors, the practices of the people that you've gotten into really close business relationships with, the people that you've gotten to really close friendships with, the people that you've gotten to really close romantic relationships with, you need to create some distance here because those people are influencing and damaging my relationship with you. The reason Paul says that it is so important for us as believers in Jesus not to be too closely connected to the wrong people is because if we do, ultimately what that will do is it will damage and impact our relationship with him. It will lead to compromise in our relationship with God. And God says, no, I've got to be the one who has priority. I can't allow anything to compromise my relationship with you. And he says that this is how he wraps it up and actually wraps it up in the next chapter, which is just kind of weird. It's a bummer that they broke the chapter there. But he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, which is just really the idea of you've got a material part, you've got the body, you've got the spirit, the immaterial part. Take them together, that's the whole person. From everything that defiles us, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, let me just let me just camp on these words just briefly and then we'll try to try to kind of bring this together. Bringing holiness. Now, holiness is not a word we use much either. Holiness is kind of a confusing word. But let me just say this. I, I think this is a good a safe statement to make. Holiness is the fundamental attribute of God. Holiness is who God is at bottom. And holiness, I, I was taught, and I believe this is true, holiness is the attribute of God that extends to every other attribute of God. So whether it's his goodness, whether it's his love, whether it's his faithfulness, whether it's the fact that he's eternal, whether it's the fact that he's wise, whether it's the fact that he is sovereign, 
All those attributes of God are impacted by his holiness because holiness is the idea that God is something different than everything else. He is utterly and finally and completely unique among everything else in the universe. He is, we might say, he is something else. Literally something else. He has no comparison. There's not, not a way you can say, you know, define God and give three examples. There is just, he stands alone and is unique. And so when he talks about bringing holiness to completion, he's talking about us being, becoming in, more like the image of who he is, becoming more like his character and having that replicated in our lives. And to completion in the fear of God with a respect for who he is and a reverence for who he is. And there's a lot I could say about this. I think sometimes we downplay the fear of God. But when people ran into God and his full glory in the Bible, they were terrified. They were stricken with terror. Uh, when they saw God. If you think about John, when he, he was like cozying up to Jesus at the Last Supper, but when he saw Jesus in his glory in the book of Revelation, he fell at his feet as though dead. Um, when, when Isaiah saw the holiness of God revealed, he said, woe is me, I'm an unclean man, I live among unclean people. I mean, these people were devastated when they came face to face with the holiness of God. Where, 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 where do we wrap all this up? How do we bring this together? Well, so Paul says don't, don't be in these close relationships with unbelievers. In other words, don't get your relational sustenance from those who have not signed on to a relationship with Jesus Christ. To those who don't know Jesus personally, He's saying that is or not the place that we're, gonna, we're supposed to find our closest relational intimacy. Why? Because people who have not placed their trust in Jesus Christ, and maybe some of you in here in that category, and that's, I'm, we're so glad you're here. If, if that's where you're at, um, then, then the, you've never signed on to the value system that we as believers in Jesus Christ have. You have never said, hey, this is what is really what matters in life which are dramatically different. Jesus said, um, what is highly esteemed among people is detestable in the sight of God. That's how different the world's value system is from, from uh, our value system as believers in Christ. So if you've made relational mistakes in the past, the way to go forward is to start saying, you know what, there are relationships in my life that, is, that are dragging me down spiritually. And maybe you can identify those right now. Maybe there's relationships in your life that are dragging you down into compromise spiritually. And that is having an impact on your relationship with God. If that's the case, what God says here is as applicable for us today as it was two, two millennia ago. God calls us to separate from that. That doesn't mean to cloister ourselves and not be out among people who don't know Jesus. I hope that you and I are investing in people who don't know Jesus. But it means when it comes to our closest relationships, we can't draw our sustenance from places that are not, uh, from people that are not in relationship with God. This is how I would put the, uh, sum this up. I would say reject relationships that require compromise. Reject relationships that require compromise. There, if there are relationships in your life, like he said to the Corinthians, that are dragging us down spiritually, that are causing us 
to not be anchored to who God is and to his values. And there are relationships, whether they're romantic, whether they're friendships, whether they're business relationships, that are causing, because of the entanglements there, that are messing us up. He says, reject that. Get out of those relationships. Uh, step back from those relationships because they're compromising your relationship with God and they are undercutting God's ultimate desire for us, our holiness, being completed in the fear of God. Now, this is a first step right here. This is a first step, rejecting relationships that require compromise. The next step, of course, is to get into relationship with people who do know Jesus Christ. And so if your closest relationships are people who don't share the value system you have as a believer in Jesus Christ, then the next step is to not only step back from these relationships that require compromise, but to step into relationship with people who do know Jesus Christ and to have and experience the reinforcement that their faith brings to our faith. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And if you let that trip you up in the past, it is not too late to change direction. It's not too late to make a course correction. And let me just say here at this point, because I think it's a good place to say this, that if you don't have a relationship with God or you're not sure you have a relationship with God, how important it is to make sure that you do. Um, you know, we are not born into this world with a relationship with God. I think a lot of people think we are. But you know what the Bible says, what, what Paul said in Romans, our relationship to God is when we enter this world? We're his enemies. Now that's something you wouldn't think about. Romans 5.10, check it out. That is how every one of us enters this world, and that is why we need to be what we, we would call saved. Because what Jesus did is he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God but he had to pay a price for that to be realized. And that's what he did on the cross. If you've never, this morning, placed your trust in what Jesus did for you, if you've never made that personal and called upon him as the one who died for you on the cross and rose again from the dead, my goodness, why not make today that day where I say, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. I believe that what he did for me was for me when he died on that cross, and I believe that on the basis of that, I can be put in a right relationship with God. How important. But if you have done that, don't get yoked up in a way that's going to cause a compromise in your faith. And step two is find those people. Find those people in this room, maybe the people that you've kind of got to know casually here at LifePoint, Get together with them. Meet with them. Allow their life to rub off on yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for um, the opportunity, the opportunity to be here and the opportunity to hear your word that really echoes even from these centuries before uh, where, Father, you spoke through your servant Paul and you gave a warning about how relationships with people can impact our relationship with you. 
Well, Father, I just pray that every one of us would take stock of the relationships in our lives. And if there are relationships in our lives that are pulling us farther from you, that, Father, we would step back from those and step into a closer, more intimate relationship with you as we step into closer, more close relationships, intimate relationships with your people. Father, we want to use what we have time-wise, however long our lives extend, the best we possibly can. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to choose never to compromise in our relationships, but choose to cling to you. Thank you for doing the impossible for us. You sent your son so that we could be forgiven. Thank you for the gift of eternal life he offers. And I pray that everyone who's never trusted that hears this would trust in your son. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.